0: I'm Lee Henson-Hasty, here with Rodney Sadler, the Reverend Doctor, um, who is associate professor, right? Associate professor um, of Hebrew Bible and uh, at um, Union Presbyterian uh, Seminary and primarily at their Charlotte campus. He lives in Charlotte. He's also the director um, of their center for social justice and reconciliation, topics we want to talk about today. Um, just glad for you. To, I'm going to say more about you, but Rodney, just glad to have you here. Thanks for making the time. Good to see your face. Good to see uh, you. <laughs> and just have appreciated you for for so long. And um, I can't believe I was looking. You've been there since 2002. Yes. Is that right?
1: This is my 18th, it feels, 18th, 19th year here, yes.
0: It feels like yesterday, I don't know. Um, but thank you for your service first to the school, but also Rodney has just such a big heart for the community um, and engagement. He does not see this as an ivory tower occupation um, and never has. I think, I'm not sure if you're still serving, but I know you've served also as interim pastor or a due pastor, pastor work there in charlotte in addition to teaching um he has a degree two degrees from howard university his his bachelor's um in psychology and philosophy as well as his master of divinity he did his phd work and i'm not sure who um who you work with most closely at duke university uh in north carolina hebrew bible and biblical archaeology who was your Who are your major people you worked with?
1: Uh, Eric and Carol Myers, husband and wife team, Jewish scholars of the Bible.
0: Right. Okay. Beautiful. Um, He is an ordained Baptist minister. He has worked with uh, the Congress for National Black Churches, uh, the Office of Black Church Studies at Duke University. Um, He has been, he's very, and I think still involved in the NAACP in North Carolina, been the executive committee. I think leading or has led the healthcare committee. Also relevant to this I'm conversation,
1: still the care of the healthcare committee. Yes,
0: um, which I think also it speaks uh, well for uh, our conversation. Uh, managing editor of the African American Devotional Bible. Um, he is the author of a Kushite Change His Skin and Examination of Race, Ethnicity, and Othering in the Hebrew Bible. Um, I believe that may be connected to some of your PhD work. Um, and most recently with Emerson Powery, uh, The Genesis of Liberation. I love that title. It's with Westminster John Knox on biblical interpretation in the antebellum narratives of the enslaved. Um, so he brings that biblical sense to this current work um, and just so grateful for that. He's articles in interpretation, Christian Century, the list is too long, Journal for the Society of Biblical Literature. Um, essays, and numerous biblical dictionaries, theological dictionaries. Um, his interest research intersections, if you might can tell, uh, of race and scripture, the impact of our images of Jesus for the perpetuation of racial thought in America. When I think of that, I think of my grandmother's church down in eastern North Carolina, and right behind in the pulpit, you know, was was uh, not the Jesus as he probably looked. Let's just put it that way. Um, uh, The enactment of justice in society based on biblical imperatives and the intersection of religion and politics. Um, Development of African-American biblical interpretation and the slave narratives. Um, The president who was on our show, Brian Blunt, a few weeks ago, I remember him at the Society of Biblical Literature talking about how underrepresented people of color, and I think in particular, those who self-identify as African-America are in the Society of Biblical Literature. So thanks for the way you represent in the academy. And I know that's not easy um, either. Um, he is an activist. He's been, um, I, I, we could just go on, on and on, on North Carolina Council of Churches. Um, and he is a teacher and professor and has students. And I saw beautiful Facebook posts chronicling the, the last week or so. Um, that you have written, and even talking about a seminarian, you're also a learner. You're talking about learning from one of your a seminary intern named Emma, I think was her name that I read. Uh, I appreciate that spirit, and making time today on short notice is just is just I can't thank you enough, Rodney, and um, just glad you're here. Well, glad to be here and thank you for yeah. having me, Thanks, and um, although I'm not seeing my, my questions here, I'm gonna depend on a friend of mine who's watching to, to, to um, feed me any questions that come up. I'd like to go ahead and start how we usually start, and uh, it has a different kind of feel to it today when we talk about call. I think about your former colleague at Union, Katie Canning, uh, talking about her vocation as the work her soul must have Mm. and I'm wondering what that work is for you, or as Howard Thurman said, the work that is making you come alive, because we need people. God, we need people <laughs> right now, uh, breaks my heart to even say it, who are coming alive um, and not going the other way, so I'm wondering what is helping you come alive in these days?
1: I think, I think always for me, it has been wrestling with that uh, monster issue of the role that race plays on shaping human relations uh, in America in particular, but uh, in general. Uh, For me, this has been a, I guess, lifelong quest, recognizing that it has not just seriously disadvantaged African-Americans in the way that we've lived our lives here, uh, relegating us to an underprivileged status uh, by law and by, uh, by practice, but also wrestling with the larger issue of the way that it impacts us all negatively. Uh, Tim Wise points out the fact that whites are not immune to the negative impacts of race either. Uh, And that the way that this concept works, uh, it does things to us like uh, obscures the impact that the idea has on us, separating us from each other, and sort of perpetuating gross injustice that uh, not only uh, serves as an impediment to black people's ability to thrive fully in society, but, dare I say, white people's soul stability. Uh, their ability to be fully Christian, I would say.
0: Soul stability. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, I think uh, that what a... And, and I feel like that's part of why you're showing up uh, where you are in these days, but also that's connected to ha- why you teach and why you teach where you are. Is that right? Is what well, you say about that, as that connects to your your vocation as a teacher and professor?
1: Well, one of the things I'll say is that I've been pleased to be at Union for, I think this is my 18th, 19th year now, uh, working on the faculty there. And when I came to to, uh, Union, I had only a slight acquaintance with uh, some of the great historians, great philosophers, great theologians in its background. I remember while I was working as director of Black Church Studies at Duke Divinity School, I came across a book called A Defense of Slavery. Uh, written by Robert Louis Dabney, uh, which really is, dare I say, an incredible work of scholarship that does a fine job convincing us why the South should have won the Civil War. It does Mm. a fine job of showing us why uh, the Southern Christian tradition was right to perpetuate slavery and the dehumanization of of, uh, African-American peoples. And what that said to me was, A, this voice was strong, it was an effective argument, but it was a deadly and damaging and God have mercy wrong argument. Uh, It needed to be opposed. I didn't know this when I first picked up this book. I didn't know that I would end up at Union uh, (laughs) Seminary at this point in time. Uh, I did not know any of that. But uh, I was moved by this to say that we need to have a different witness in the Christian church. We need to correct what uh, Dabney did wrong. We need to reimagine this. And it just so happened that later on I was hired to come and teach (laughs) at Union Seminary. And it's been a blessing for uh, the time I've been there to see uh, not only the president of Union Seminary, now is an African-American man. Me right. uh, to be one of the first, uh, the first African-American in the, the Bible department.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: and also to see uh, our, our, our home school, the birth school, Hampton, Sydney, have an African-American president for it right. as well. Uh, so it's interesting to see those shifts, but I have a sense that God has a strange sense of humor, that God <laughs> has literally put me here in part to work against that tradition and to utilize this great framework of Union Seminary to bring about a new uh, order uh, of justice and peace uh, and racial parity. And I think that uh, we are, we've always been poised to present that positive image as well. So I'm glad to be here now. And I, uh, my work, I hope, will constantly be lifting up that idea, lifting up that message, uh, looking at the text and recognizing the, uh, the absence of anything that references the perpetuation of a racialist paradigm like that, which we have in the south, and then utilizing that the wonderful stories, the wonderful images that we find there—images like the uh, the the point of uh, Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter seven—with everyone, the diverse panorama mm-hmm. of people before the throne mm-hmm. of God—and talk mm-hmm. about the fact that if we don't like diversity, we won't like heaven much. Uh, right. To lift up <laughs> the, the larger notions of uh, Acts chapter ten, uh, where Peter is given this blanket that comes from heaven with all of these animals and God says what I've made clean let no one call unclean and recognize that the very concept of race perpetuates the notion of uncleanness among human types that certain people are untouchable and outside of the pale of God's grace and I want to make sure that we work against that lift up these biblical images and find a way forward uh, where the church Mm -hmm. can be at the forefront and that's got to be another one of the things that has disappointed me over the years. The more I learn about the history right. of the church, the more I recognize uh, that is uh, Frederick Douglass says at the end of his appendix in his 1845 Narrative Life of Frederick Douglass, that the church has been has offered a, a thin veneer of covering to the grotesque, the most grotesque forms of racial abuse that we can imagine. How do we begin to move the church from its? complicity, uh, complicity, uh, is complicitness in the larger racial ills of society, and it's also it's complacency uh, that Dr. King notes in his letter from Birmingham City Jail. The church was right there, but allowing things to go on. The church knew better, but it should have been working against the racial paradigms of the time. Uh, how do we begin to move the church beyond the notion of being complicit and the notion of being complacent to being proactive in fostering this change?
0: from complacency and complacency to transformation and change I, that that will preach. <laughs> and that's where we need to go. And um, we want to get to that. I, I was just thinking I was sharing before we officially got started. And Rodney remembers, um, I, I grew up not too far from where he sits um, in Union County, they call it. And um, it was uh you know, Robert Williams, who was a founder of the Black Panthers, was a part of the NAACP in Union County. And uh, I always said, I'm not sure that's the right name uh, for, that, for that place. Um, union Seminary, we weren't really sure if that was the right name, but it is, maybe that name will become meaningful. To find union, to find harmony, to find ways to work together. Um, there have been some images of that. Hopefully there will be more. Um, and for the church and theological leaders who are a lot of the audience on today, um, pastors uh, and ruling elders and others um, who, who want to make a difference. And I think uh, hopefully our conversation will be a resource to them. Um, I, I, th- I think as we crossed this past Sunday in the liturgical year, um, Pentecost Sunday, it's not just the birthday of the church, but it's a celebration of diversity in the church where we can all understand one another it's uh it's about celebrating that gift um, hearing each other's voices um so um when you were when you were talking about your call to union it also had a little echo in my head um and we have this on video folks want to look it up um when we um were honoring katie cannon with the award for theological excellence uh, uh two years ago she talked about her call coming to Taking the train, I think, to Richmond, <laughs> you know, which was the uh, the home of the capital of the Confederacy, and I think Monument Avenue, and and even though it was painful, it became clear to her, like God have mercy, I am being called to this place, <laughs> and and what a gift, and and so grateful for that courage. I'll say the same to you for for your courage and the work uh, that you've been doing for for decades now. Um, it's you know uh, there um, when we were talking about what the title was uh for this could, could i
1: just say something for one second if you don't please.
0: that notion of pentecost
1: uh pentecost is not just a moment where you have those diverse people with diverse tongues and from different parts of the world coming together and finding uh the, the the spirit of the lord dropped upon them all uh pentecost was also the moment if we look at the end of that chapter uh where once the holy spirit has come upon people they're able to give away their possessions. They're able to to become new communities. That's what I think that we need to, uh, as people of faith at this point in time in the Christian calendar, remember that the Holy Spirit's presence among us is the possibility of social justice, but it's also the possibility of reconciliation. It brings right. us together with those who are different from us. It helps to level the playing ground and it gives us the opportunity to go forward as new community, as brothers and sisters, as the family mm-hmm. of Christ. So I uh, just wanted to mention that before
0: we left. i no, that I'm glad you did. And I hope we can talk about, it. I think you're pointing toward, you know, to think about this theologically and yes. not just politically, not just sociologically um, and through other lenses. Um, but also economically, I mean, to make this economic, uh, this is an, for reconciliation and justice to occur, um, there, there are economic things that need to take place, right? And um, it's, it, it is, all of that is very much interwoven. So I'm glad you interrupted me. Yeah, that's one of the best parts um, of, of Acts, in my opinion. Um, we're, and, it, and, and you're right, it comes on the heels of the Pentecost story. Um, I was, uh, I have been moved by the, the chants and um, that have been lifted up by demonstrators from across the country, this uprising that was, um, I'm not sure what the, what the, the impetus, I would love to hear where you, I love the word you use, you call it an uprising, it's, yeah. this is grassroots, but maybe you want to say something about what you, how you understand uprising and where this comes from. Yes. I, uh, I, and, cause, and, and it's not just I mean, there's a there's the last week or two, but this is a much bigger picture and deeper than just the last few weeks. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I'm part of I've taken that name from the people themselves. I remember after we had the quote unquote uprising in 2016 in Charlotte after the death of Keith Lamont Scott. Uh, The people claimed that name when people were calling them rioters. The people claimed that name when people were calling them rebels or uh, were calling them uh, something that was negative. And they said, no, 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 this is an uprising. This is people who've been left at the bottom, who are finding their way up, who are finding their voice, who are being able to speak. And who are trying to start a larger movement that will bring about justice for all people. Uh, And I think that that's exactly what is going on across the country today. Uh, The George Floyd killing was uh, not just a a single event, uh, but it was an event that, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, an event that gave people the opportunity to move beyond the fear uh, of what the police might do to them and say, we need to claim Back our police departments. We need to claim back our humanity. We need to claim back our human dignity. And the most remarkable part of this is, it's not just black men and women, young men and young women that are standing together. It's blacks and whites and Latinx, Latinx people and uh, Asian people and Indigenous people and. Uh, Rich people, poor people, young people, old people, all coming together in a new way to say enough is enough. This is too much. And we see uh, not just this as an issue, but we see that this is tied to so many other things. This uh, issue that we see the racialization of America that has divided us against each other has not just enabled uh, white police officers to think of blacks as a danger that needs to be controlled people that can be killed without consequence but that this ties into the larger covid crisis where african americans are dying mm-hmm. at a rate three four times their percentage in the population not because they're genetically weaker not because there's a genetic problem or a health problem with them as much as the fact that these are poor people that have to go to work that often don't have the ability to protect themselves with ppe that uh, that are really putting themselves at risk to perpetuate our society in ways for which we will never compensate them uh, this is exposing right. any number of other issues about education, uh, other issues about the need for, uh, for universal health care, uh, the, the issues of the way that we vote or how people have tried to stop people from voting. So so many issues are tied together in this. Mm-hmm. So when I think about this as an uprising, I think about this as the point of, uh, the point of synthesis where people who have been left on the bottom are joining with others to bring about a new reality.
0: Right, um, and it, it, this is, it's not work for any one person or one group or just, uh, and I've seen some some great posts. I mean, everybody, I think somebody described it as there's some different lanes to work in and everybody and people may work in more than one lane, you know, um, some economic lanes, some may be out, you know, working in in the legislative lanes. We, we, we can't do this all, I mean, it, I think maybe that's part of the gift is, we couldn't do this all alone. I mean, we, we need everybody doing their part uh, to make their difference and showing up. Um, I think the message, one of the messages though, especially uh, for people like me is to, to end the silence end the white silence in particular, that that is really important to make this um, very clear. This is not just an issue and an uprising um, and in a demonstration uh, by people of color, or just um, folks who look like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor here in Louisville, uh, um, and and a long, long list um, that we could we could spend the rest of our time reading and probably should mm-hmm. all of their names. Um, it's but it, it takes all of us working together. I'm wondering, policing has become one of the big issues um, in just the last few days, and there's been. Um, it, it's it's been before that, but it's been a topic, and I guess in the last four days, people are talking about, and I think church leaders are wondering, you know, how what to do, how to engage. Do you have some images, and maybe may I'm 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 guessing for you, um, it comes from images from scripture um, of what what kind of policing would God imagine, you know, uh, in this? It's it's not this is not necessarily about an army rising up. I don't think, but how would you describe that kind of um, moral leadership um, uh, from police um, and, and policing? It's not, not about those anonymous people. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're gonna talk about that, but what would that look like, Rodney? Do you have an idea? <laughs> the,
1: the, the first thing I'd say, thank you for that question. The first thing I'd say is that uh, we need to reevaluate the way that police officers work and the way that they're trained and the way that they're taught, the way that they're selected all these issues are issues that impinge upon what took place with George Floyd uh, and with so many others. But in addition to that, I think we have to recognize that our policing paradigm in the United States of America in part was founded uh, as we were working on the Fugitive Slave Act, as we were tracking enslaved people who were seeking their freedom in this country. Uh, Policing was in part born during that period uh, and we have to recognize that there's some racialist tendencies in this. Mm-hmm, right. if you have a, an institution that was founded on the control of black and brown bodies. We should not expect it to be void of such racialized tendencies even today. So one of the things I'd love to see change in policing and uh, our, our current chief, Kerr Putney, uh, is very offended whenever I say this is we need to have a policing paradigm that's not focused on forced compliance but on mm. respect, forced compliance. The police officer has the right to tell you what to do. And if you don't do it to manipulate you into doing it as opposed mm. to uh, a, a policing policy that's based upon respect. You are a citizen. We want to protect you and your rights. How do I negotiate with you? How do I deescalate with you? How do I make sure that whatever I'm doing gives you the citizen, the best possible outcome. We need to also rearrange the notion of power. Our police officers should not be the empowered ones in our community. Our police officers should respect the power of those people who are citizens, i.e. the people that pay them, their bosses, uh, those who they're charged to protect and to serve. I think we've got a power imbalance that's evident there as well. So I think that there's a Mm -hmm. lot that has to go on, but fundamental to this issue is a much deeper issue. We as Americans have to finally have that long overdue conversation about race and the way that race continues to shape us, impact us and make certain people less than others. I like to say this in these conversations Mm -hmm. that we talk about white privilege all the time, but there's no such thing as privilege without attendant underprivilege. There's no such thing as giving someone an advantage without disadvantaging others. And in as much Mm -hmm. as this is so, how do we begin to look at the way that race has presented this perpetual economic um, opportunity uh, social imbalance in our society that has really relegated some to the bottom rungs of the, the ladder of humanity, of, of prosperity, of opportunity, and given others a free ride, a free pass to the front. We need to look at this right. to find out, uh, because fundamentally I say, there's no way that we can be that exceptional nation that we claim to be. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all human beings are created equal, endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. There's no way we can be that. If we at the same time hold that horrible idea that race is real and legitimate i.e. that we are fundamentally ontologically genetically different that we are hierarchically related to one another that some were born to serve and others were born to be served as long as that idea exists the notion of the american exceptional vision of equality can never exist it's not just oxymoronic it provides a mental schism that I think is tearing America apart today. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thanks, it's deep seated. I'm, I'm thinking as you talk, and in, because in, we've heard this before, we've got to have this conversation. Yes. Maybe a gift of this COVID crisis, um, it, this being re- rising up is, I don't know if you agree, is, hey, it gives us that space. Yes. Have that conversation, you're in your home, I'm in my home to have that conversation with my daughter, with my son, with my neighbor. Mm-hmm. um with um with those in my church. Um, I know there are pastors on this call and they're 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 uh, some of my closest friends are saying, you know, what do we preach now? <laughs> Lord have mercy. And um I'm, I'm wondering as church leaders, what what role do you think um, they can they can engage in I suspect, inviting people into that conversation, modeling those conversations, in church gatherings, what have you, in their, in their proclamation. What role do you see church leaders could be playing now that could make uh, make a real difference in their communities? And it's going to be different, you know, in small town Missouri uh, and in Northern California and in big cities. But uh, I suspect this is something you think about.
1: <laughs> well, I think uh, there are a number of things that people can begin to do. I think the first thing that, uh, that pastors, particularly white pastors, need to do right now is to claim their voice in this space on the side of justice and uh, renewing a better racial paradigm going forward. I need to hear white pastors standing up and saying, I'm on the side of racial justice. The system has to change, and we have to be willing as pastors to say something about it, and we have to be willing as congregations to change. I think another thing that we need to do is we need to show up. We need to show up during these uprisings. We need to be in the streets wearing our clergy attire and participating with, letting people see that not only uh, are we as clergy concerned about what's going on, but God has something to say about this. This is part of, uh, Mm -hmm. if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, God's got something to say about all that's going on. And people need to see us showing up in these places. Another thing that I saw quite wonderfully the other day, uh, the pastor of Myers Park Baptist Church, Ben Boswell, uh, stood on the street in the middle of these mm-hmm. protesters, uh, and he said, we as the white church have to apologize for our years of silence. Silence has to come to an end. We have to move on. Uh, John the Presbyterian minister, pastors, Caldwell Presbyterian Church, here said the exact same thing after he did. Uh, and it was followed up by more of these conversations by clergy. Clergy need to step out into the public square and say these things Publicly and boldly, and let mm-hmm. people know that uh, we, as the church, don't condone the racialized system, and we will work against it. And then I think the in the short term, I bet right now, the last thing I might say is we have to commit ourselves <laughs> to being in this for the long haul. We need to commit ourselves to working alongside mm-hmm. of our black. Uh, and Latino, uh, Latinx brothers and sisters, uh, alongside of our Asian and uh, indigenous uh, sisters and brothers, alongside of all of our sisters and brothers, even uh, Muslims and Jews and, and others. We need to work right. for a better America that really does serve us all well, that really does replicate the image that God has given us. If we truly are all made in God's image, the way that we mistreat the least among us is the way that we mistreat God.
0: That's, that's a beautiful list um, to, to speak up, and that's what I'm trying to do today on the side of justice, um, to show up um, in, in the public spaces, in clergy, as clergy, to apologize for the silence um, and, to, um, and commit to the long haul. I saw a video that you did of, um, I think, uh, Veronica Cannon Yes. speaking. But then John Clegghorn, you just mentioned, he also said something I thought was really important is, is I'm not here to speak so much as to listen. Amen. I think that feels like a, that humility is I'm here to listen and learn. Um, I don't get this. And I, I definitely that's something I'm committed to. Listen, time is way too short. I can't believe we've already hit, hit our half hour. Um, much more to say. I want to encourage folks to get to know Rodney, his work, Um, also um, engage. uh, Is there something happening soon with, there's a Facebook group for the Center for uh, Social Justice and Reconciliation. Follow that on Facebook um, and get to know what's going on. Um, And I think there's an annual series. I mean, there's a lot. (laughs) I'm sure there'll be more um, in the days. Let me me
1: invite people on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, the 9th of June at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to have a conversation, uh, I think loosely titled, uh, What Should the White Church Do for About Racial Justice? Uh, we're going to have um, several members of, of this community here on that panel, just really talking about it from the Charlotte perspective. But your listeners might find it interesting. That would, as
0: well. that would be You can find
1: good. this on the union website. It'll be listed there.
0: Okay, upsim.edu, and we'll put the links in there. Um, thank you, uh, Rodney's can't, can't thank you enough. I know you got to get into this other meeting, <laughs> apologize to them. I wonder if you have a charge and a benediction you might give. You've already given us a lot, but, uh, um, for, for those who've gathered, it would be much appreciated.
1: Yes. I, I, I was looking at a, a poster the other day that said, uh, uh, we're waiting, we've been waiting for someone a long time to bring about change. And then I realized I am someone. I think that hit me uh, hard because we have much work to do. This is not black people's work. This is also white people's work. Uh, White people created the concept of race, and we need to have white allies who are working to dismantle uh, this horrid, uh, the horrid results of this ideology run rampant in our society. I think that if we truly seek deep spiritual guidance, we'll find that, God wants us all to be uplifted, and God wants us all to be blessed. So my benediction is, may the God that loves us all, created us all equally, be with us and inspire us to manifest this in this world. For Christ's sake,
0: amen. Hallelujah, amen thank you rodney so very much and blessings on your day and your work and stay in touch if there's um and know we'll be doing the work here and others around the world and you've helped inspire them today so um peace uh, of christ be with you and um next week friends let me say um i know you may have to sign off next week friends we will have um our one two weeks in a way, our award winners for this year, Daryl Guder, will be talking about his missional theology work and the following week, Elizabeth Caldwell. So we can look forward to the next two weeks um, of also engaging together. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, The peace of Christ uh, be with you all.